favorite, JJ Caballero, also known as the Mexican Rick Moranis, also known as the Hip Hop Walter Mercado, also known as Mr. Mira Mira Mira. I'm gonna get to it. This week I am speaking to my friend. He was the first guest on my last, the, the last podcast that I had, um, but he's a really good friend. Daniel Rivera, also known as Kilo. He is a producer, a sound dude. He is the drummer for a band called Private Education. Currently, uh, he was also in a band called Table Manners, as well as a band called Kilo and the Do, which you could also stream. Um, all of those, you know, th- they got records out. You, sh- you could find them on all your favorite streaming platforms. Uh, Private Education actually just put out a single which is pretty awesome not gonna lie really good music total recommend from mono stereo video um you're not familiar with the show mono stereo video is a podcast about movie soundtracks we go through them we take a deep dive and we express our appreciation for movie soundtracks it's 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 an excuse for me to talk about movies and music at the same time but gonna get to this one real quick uh because it's the longest episode already um hope you enjoy it i really had a good time on this one and it took me a while to edit it and love you guys here's the episode you have so much you have just so much so access to so much can kind of be like a do you think it can be too, it can be too much it's not only that i think I, I think it's just you know with a hobby what makes a hobby beautiful is hmm. you know it's it's almost a scarcity in like your life you you get to enjoy it on off times or even when you're young like as a teenager or something mm-hmm. like you enjoy it but i mean you have what six seven hours of school a day true with this your as job is that I love all of that. I'm <sighs> literally talking about it, like, and like we we on average hmm. work like minimum 45 hours a week, mm. so we're just constantly in it. And like sometimes it's great, um, sometimes it's, you know, I get you in know West Virginia yeah. asking you what uh, the binding of a certain guitar is made of or how uh, you know are the frets actually you know pushed down into the uh, into the neck or is it just you know seated at mm. the you know at the uh, fingerboard you know like st- uh, stupid stuff like that like i i hate guitar players dude i hate i know and i am one and you i know? totally get that i fucking get it because i've always i've always kind of just considered myself uh i mean i don't know i've gone through iterations of things but at heart you know it's it's kind of it's my primary instrument or it, it my, in school my primary instrument was bass but the thing that I learned on was guitar and I was not a guitar guy. You know what I mean? Because yeah, yeah. for that reason, because I, I, I couldn't keep up with my friends that were guitar guys. And I felt that I wanted to better spend my time writing music, uh-huh. um, writing songs rather than like, well, let me learn how to play this entire book of, Led Zeppelin songs, you know, I had the Led Zeppelin, you know, the, you know, I, I learned how to play Stairway to Heaven and a couple of other songs, but it wasn't like, I need to memorize this whole thing back and forth, that type of shit. Nah, it's that. Nah. And then also like being a gearhead, like being mm-hmm. a gearhead is all good and fun, but it goes, mm-hmm. it goes so, so, so deep. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, like for today, I mean, I'm being a gearhead right now. Like I've, I, I rented this mic because I haven't used one of these. Oh, before. cool. Yeah, what is, is it? Um, Earthway, Earthworks Ethos. Okay. While you're checking the specs, welcome to Mono Stereo Video. My name is JJ Caballero. I am your new favorite, also known as the Hip Hop Walter Mercado, also known as the Mexican Rick Moranis, also known as Mr. Mira, Mira, Mira. I've, I forgot a couple of AKs as I was recording some of these episodes, so they're not always, they're not going to appear on, on every every episode. This is a podcast about movie soundtracks, and it's really just an excuse to talk about music and movies at the same time, because it's my favorite shit, and it's a lot of people's favorite shit, and we're already talking about music stuff with my friend, producer, uh, engineer, uh, sound man, extraordinaire, sound designer, drummer for the band is it does it is it just private ed or is it private education is it as a private whole education private that's education that's right full name. Mm-hmm. full name private education uh formerly the drummer of the band kilo and the do which you started out as the do first and then eventually you became kilo because everybody called you kilo is that what happened no so okay the story okay with that is, kilo is a, <laughs> a college nickname and if i could put a pin in that for a quick second yeah i have a unreasonable amount of joy every time I hear you call yourself the Mexican Rick Moran. <laughs> cool. <laughs> but um, yeah. no, So Kilo was a nickname given to me. Believe it or not, I'm a frat boy. So I was in a fraternity yeah. in college and it was given to me then. And the other band member, Jason Daw, apparently when he was in high school football, they used to okay. call him the do. Okay. And I misunderstood the, okay. It literally just, you know, I asked him one day, yeah. what do you want to be called? And he was like this. And I was like, okay. Fuck yeah. You know, so. But uh, Table Manners, too. Don't forget about Oh, Rodriguez. Table Manners. Um, yeah. And I played with, like, a show with you guys. Yeah, That's you right. Played, you played, played bass for a show, I think. I, it was a bass. Yeah, it was a bass. Yeah. At, at Tricky. That's true. I think it was my last time mm-hmm. playing at Tricky. Mine, too. Yeah. yeah. I think it was a lot of people's last time. I mean, it was, I, don't, I don't remember when. I, it, it's been so long ago. That was That was such a blur. Yeah, that's well, crazy, I mean, right? The There's past two, like, three years feel like they didn't right? happen. You know, they feel like like a whole ripped in time. Yep, that interrupted a bunch of cool shows and things. But at the same point, like like when, you know when they sold the venue and all that such, and yeah, it was. I don't know. I don't know. Truthfully, was, man, given um, you know, I hate to 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 sound so. I don't know if nihilist is the right word, but. You know, everything has to come to an end, and I think yeah. I think it was ready to, mm. to to meet its maker. Cynical, I think, might be the word, but no, nah, not cynical. But no, you're right. Like every everything has its time. Everything yeah. has its time in the world. I, I mean, Tricky Falls did uh, an immense amount of things for the mm-hmm. El Paso, you know, local scene. You know, between booking giant acts on underplays. I mean, remember Green Day, Marilyn Manson. Mm-hmm. Um, you know. Some other artists that you know are canceled now, <laughs> and Mar- yeah, Marilyn Manson. Yeah, who else? Who else is Diane canceled? Word, uh, oh, that's right, they're canceled. Crystal Castles. Oh, that's right. One half of them is canceled. Exactly. Yeah, so, yeah, like, yeah. There was so Damn. many, things, but like the amount of local shows that happened mm-hmm. there, you know, and like I'm just so grateful to you know Jim, Bobby, Luis, and Gabe. You know, yeah. for giving me the opportunity me to too. work there. I, uh, I mean, I learned so much from Gabe, dude. 
Like we were both sound people at this particular venue here in lovely El Paso, Texas, where I am currently. Uh, I'm I'm currently in El Paso. Daniel is in an undisclosed area because if we disclose too much, you might reveal <laughs> some the place that he works at. But he's in an undisclosed area. Um, Speaking of a moment in time, today we're going to talk about Michael Reimer's and Rice's Queen of the Damned soundtrack, uh, the 2002 film released in February of 2002, February 19th, to be exact. Daniel, why did you choose this soundtrack? First of all, like what was, how old were you when you first heard the music and were exposed to the movie and what's up? So it's super interesting. There's not a good reason that I picked this movie. Truthfully, the reason that this movie <laughs> came to my mind was just timing. I mean, yeah. when you asked me what movie, um, I think it was literally days before, for no reason whatsoever, I decided to listen to one of the songs off of the soundtrack. I think it was the, what was it called? Because uh, I was just like, I remembered liking this album because it felt... It wasn't by a band, but it was mm -hmm. by an actual artist. Mm -hmm. And we can get into the details of that here in a minute. But um, I don't know. It just felt so like um, so surreal to me, you know? So it was uh, Forsaken mm. that's off the album. That's a good song. That's a good one. And, and the thing is, is I think it's, um, at least for me, uh, let's see, 2002, what, I was uh, seventh grade? Uh, okay, I was trying to remember where we were at. Like, I was yeah. like, man, how fucking old was I? It was, it was somewhere it was between seventh and eighth grade. And you know, um, I yeah. got my first drum kit when I was in fifth or sixth grade. Okay. And so, like, the early times where I was playing, you know, before I really had a, a style that I was interested in my own, I'm I'm sitting there playing, you know, Ben Halen and ACDC, and you know, dabbled in Metallica because my my parents listened to it a little bit. But then I remember when new metal came around. Changed my life. I mean, mm -hmm. I think the first new metal artist that I actually heard was probably Korn. Okay. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and I can't remember off the top of my head. It's really funny because I didn't have a lot of music when I was a young kid. But my cousin, who is still kind of like my closest cousin, his thing is he was a smart kid. And every time he got A's, his mom would take him to Best Buy because they had CDs for like seven bucks. Ah, oh, dude. And he had a massive collection. That's awesome. And I would just like borrow them from him forever, you know? And so my my music taste uh, really came from from that, you know what I mean? And yeah, he was I a bass you. player and I was a drummer. And oh. so we, we vibed to new metal, you know? Um, so this... Um, Did he do the fieldy thing where he like dropped the bass down to his knees and you loosen the strings up oh, super yeah. fucking loose where it wasn't... There's no tone, just a bunch What's of his name? What's slaps. the name, name from the dude uh, in Linkin Park, the, the bass player? Uh, so we were like deep into Linkin Park and we'd have oh, to look okay. up the date to figure it out. But me and him actually saw Linkin Park at the Don Haskins. I think it was the only time yeah. they actually played they booked it a bunch of times yeah but it was like exhibit it was mudvane blindside and link damn Park. dude and 
And it wow. was like on a weekday, bro. And it was just me and him. We were probably 11 or 12. Wow. And my dad, my dad was so awesome, dude. He let us stay there. And me and my cousin both met all of Mudvayne and Lincoln. Park. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Somewhere I have a signed ticket from like Chester and they all signed it. You know what I mean? Oh, if you, if, if there, if you can find that, send a pic and we could, I'll, I'll post it up online. That'd so, be so fucking cool. That's super cool. The reason I say that I have one is because I am hopeful that I still have it. It's been years and I've never <laughs> been able to find it's it, but maybe deteriorated. Maybe it'll pop up somewhere. But yeah. Um, so like we were like deep into it. You know what I mean? That's awesome. Did you see the movie back then or did you see the movie later? I saw the movie because of the music. Okay. All right. I get that. I, don't remember how I found out. It was probably a commercial for the soundtrack because, you know, back then they used to do that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm, exactly. You know, this is like pre-internet. Like, I didn't have yep. a computer or a cell phone back then, you know? Um, and I saw that it was Jonathan Davis, you know? Um, and, yeah, I saw the movie. And, um, I mean, you and I chatted about this, but we both recently watched the movie. Oh, man. We both recently it, rewatched it. It... I, mean, I don't know, man. I, I, when you mentioned this soundtrack, I was really excited because for me, it was it was big in my life back then. My older brother loved the movie, and he went to see the movie in theaters and such. And I remember renting the movie and thinking, like, "Oh man, this is fuck. This is crazy." Well, because you know we were younger back then, and it's oh whoa, it's sex. There's sex. And there's blood and yeah, oh, we're 11, 12 years old. And man, and Aaliyah dumb. was like everyone's crush back then, too. <laughs> That's true. That's true. You know? Yeah, she was, she was, she was the jam back then. She was but, everybody's jam. Romeo but, must, must have died. Exactly. But mm-hmm. the thing with me, though, is like, and you know, there, there are pinnacles or pillars in life where we mm-hmm. all realize that. Thinking back in hindsight, like, oh, music was always the thing for me. You know what I mean? Yeah. And this movie, I when I think back to it prior to the rewatch, the only parts that I actually remembered were the big concert and like in the beginning when he <laughs> like, you know, takes on the band as his children. And like it was the the fact that, you know, this powerful vampire dude was a musician. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I do got to say this for all the downfalls of the movie, the actual shooting of the music performances, mm-hmm. really good. And, and the, the videos singing. Yeah. And the lip singing from, I didn't really watch any of the music videos, but the lip singing, singing from the main actor, whoever that was that played. Stuart Townsend. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He, he, he was on point. Right. Man. Yeah. He was on point. And you know, it, it was, um, Jonathan Davis was very on board for it. It was him and Richard Gibbs. Richard Gibbs was the composer of the movie, and Richard Gibbs is like a long time, uh, like he, he was like a collaborator of the of the um, the director. They did. Let's see what other movies Reimer did. I believe they did Perfume together, if I'm not mistaken. He did some battle. The the, the, the director Michael Reimer did Battlestar Galactica, a couple of seasons of that. He directed some episodes of American Horror Story Asylum. Uh, let's see. He went. He pretty much went to uh, TV after this movie, maybe for the best. 
maybe for the best in all honesty. Um, but yeah, Jonathan Davis was super on board with it. Uh, it Richard Gibbs, it, it was cool hearing Jonathan Davis's voice on the movie and watching Lestat. Like, you know, it was a very... You want me to blow your mind right now? Cool fit. What's up? I was today years old when I found out that Jonathan Davis is not on the record. Oh, really? Yeah, so oh. he was under contract yep. with his record label, mm-hmm. and his record label forbade him. Mm-hmm. So his voice is on the movie, and it's it's really bizarre because oh, so it's, it is him in the movie. It's him in the movie. Okay, it's gotcha. not him uh, on record. It's not him on the record. They they didn't allow him to do that. So he so like it's a wide release. I'm sure it's like a release thing and a whole fucking you know a whole well, that type yeah, of I thing. Mean, the yeah, music music contracts have always been a oh, yeah. nightmare. What's so surprising to me though is like because I've been I've been kind of in the background jamming this record for uh-huh. probably the better part of you know the the you know past week or so. Mm-hmm. Um, and then today, uh, because I remember that we had this, I was like, oh, I should do some reading up on this. I found out via Wikipedia that Jonathan Davis isn't on the record, but I went back many, many times and listened to the first track, which is not meant for me. Uh-huh. And I know that it was sang by Wayne Static uh-huh. on the record. It, he, I don't know if it was intended for him to mimic Everybody's, Jonathan Davis. Yes. Yeah. But it sounds like everybody. It sounds so much. That's like Jonathan Davis, man. It's a very good like corn record not played by all of corn because monkey and head were both like they did guitars on it um i don't think fieldy from corn did any bass on it um who else? The, the drummer was somebody from another band and and like harry bozio did a bunch of drums for it no oh, oh cool i don't know how many songs he was on but he was one of the, the studio musicians in the session yeah Ooh, which is cool because most you know, people are probably not going to know, but if if you just look up Terry Bozio, he has like the largest drum kit, and he's just you know, and it's you can hear it, you can hear how big the drum sound. The songs sound huge, and the the the, the song like for new metal man. I mean, it, it we've been on a whole kick of listening back to like Corn, and my my first new metal band was. Um, I mean, is Incubus does is does Incubus count as new metal or? I think so I, I think I've read it. It's like I a, I guess it would be like, Incubus, but a, a then it was like new new metal, you know? It was like Limp Biscuit, who I really liked, but I bought the Corn albums, and I was super into the Corn music after Limp Biscuit, and it, mm-hmm. you know what I mean. And it, this is it's so funny. Admitting all of this on a fucking recorded podcast about, and I mean, talking new metal. But, I mean, <laughs> but we lived it. We lived it. Was, it. Yeah. It was, you know? Tr- truthfully, I never liked Limp Bizkit. The only uh, so song that it. I ever actually enjoyed by them was their cover of that. Was it the Who song, Behind Blue Eyes? Yeah. I thought Fred Durst actually killed that performance. But that was really good. Um, I, I always thought they were a joke. I, th- I always thought they were. I never liked. I, I wore the backwards fitted cap. I'm not going to say that I didn't like them, but they were they were definitely the band in the time frame that were like, you know, they were like the meta, you know, they they were living they were living the life of of the you know vision of what new metal was. Is it that much farmer? Is that what 2002 was in music? Is that is that where we were in music? Let's see. I 
think I mean 2002 was an interesting time. I mean, I think um and I can't remember like what I mean what would the, would what were the billboard top Let's see uh let's see. The, the Grammys you two played Walk On at the Grammys. Uh there was a Jillian Welsh, Allison Cross, Emmy Lou Harris did a whole thing. Oh, that was Lady Marmalade that year. Lady Marmalade. We saw Christina Aguilera um in in Los Angeles, and it okay. was Are fucking amazing. What's I bet, that? man. Ah. Number one song of 2002. What was it? Do you want to take a guess? And I will admit on this podcast that I stand this song in 2002. How You Remind Me by Nickelback. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's where we were in music. That's where That's we were. Where we were. Uh, number uh. one, two, and three is How You Remind Me. Foolish by Ashanti. Wow. Yeah. I saw Ashanti here at the Power Jam. That was pretty fucking... (laughs) That was pretty fun. Hot in here by Nelly. Okay. I think Nelly was at that too, if I'm not mistaken as well. But there is a new song on this list. Top seven, uh, number seven is in the end. Oh, Linkin Park. You know, uh, for what what it's worth also, Linkin Park was that song chester's song on the we'll go through the track list and stuff i I still got to talk about what the movie's about and such but you know i knew this was going to happen with you but lincoln park was good they do have a a legacy i think pretty good better than good i think yeah i think they did a lot maybe not i'm saying it here for like i don't know culture is the wrong word but i think Mm -hmm. i think what they did is i think they opened um mental health to a broader audience ah a lot of the songs get that. Were, were angsty and they yeah kind of rubbed you in 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 the fields you know what i mean uh-huh but they were definitely you know in that mode and you know now knowing so much about chester bennington i mean right you know it makes sense and he was using the avenue that they had but i think they had a really interesting sound that i think has been at this point not from lincoln park perspective but like in music in general kind of played out but at the time, it was huge, man. Remember they did that mashup with uh, Jay Z. Oh, that that, was, ho- that album's that was, great. Yeah, and that whole thing up, was dude. huge. That it was huge. Uh huh. That was a big like. They were part of cultural moments. I remember being what was it was possibly like sixth grade, fifth, seventh grade, sixth grade, seventh grade, something like that, and hearing them on KLAQ, uh, uh, like super late at night. It was it wasn't even like like they were like play it was like the main thing that they were playing it was like when they barely started i was spelling lincoln park on my i was writing it out on my book covers like like abraham lincoln's yeah, yeah, park and shit you know what i'm saying they Back had that those days like another uh, way that that i i discovered music dude mm. do you remember like the game shark and the demo discs for playstation yeah where they had music videos on them oh they like, did have yeah i, I want to say music videos. There, was a, there was a lincoln park a couple of videos on a couple of those discs because oh. like if, if you subscribe to it, or even if you just went to like Blockbuster or Hollywood and bought the magazine, there was always a disc in there with like demos. That's of true, games. very much very true. That's actually how I found out about Cake too. They had a oh. long jacket on one of those. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's it's wild how we all these little out. gamers listening to this. <laughs> what the fuck? Like nowadays, I mean, you just go playing Conker's Bad Fur Day. TikTok, <laughs> yeah. But I mean, back then we had to. Do you remember? I don't even remember what the station was called, but back then there was an alternative station, ninety four seven. Yeah, Hero Radio. Hero, there you go. Hero they Radio played a lot of that stuff. The way that I look at it is, I think of like the, you know, because everyone talks about artists in specific genres, 
you know, gleaming to the mainstream. Uh-huh. Linkin Park is the new metal band of the mainstream. Yeah. I think Korn yeah. is a staple of new metal, but Korn, even though they were super popular, they were always kind of like, you know, in they were the like bubble. the underground kings. They were know? like in the in, in uh-huh. the bubble of, of those people, whether you want to, you know, whatever you want to call. It was like you you'd see your whatever, yeah, you know? you'd see your older cousins wearing like a corn shirt or a ministry shirt or a fucking yeah. tool shirt or a typo negative shirt, and they're not all in the same like they're not all the same thing like you know they're very different. But it's it's that's a and they had long hair like yeah. long hair dudes. You're a long hair dude now, yeah, and it's I am but a long like hair dude now. yeah. yeah. And I wanted to, and I had like I gelled my hair into spikies, and I just I wore black Dude. all the time, and I wear black all the time now, actually. <laughs> I was actually just talking to my friend uh, Joseph about that, who was like my best friend during that time, like that this movie came out, mm-hmm. and like we were talking about our. I was going to Ornado at the time. Okay. My picture, my seventh grade picture in Ornado, I had spiky hair. Yeah, cool. Yeah, it's wild. You need to bro. send if you can send pictures of that. Send pictures. Go ahead. I I'll find. find I'll find spiky yeah. hair pictures. I'll find spiky hair yeah. pictures. So I don't know, <laughs> but at the end of the day, um, you know, as budding musicians, I think we're influenced directly by whatever it is that we're listening mm-hmm. to, and whether that's music that was given to us by our older siblings, cousins, friends, yeah, you know, parents, whatever. But um, what this album did for me and what this movie did for me was give me a window into the realization because it was like you see the band practice, you know, and although those scenes are really short, but then you see like the concert happening and you feel the vibe of the music. And there are certain scenes in the movie that were shot during the music parts Mm -hmm. that I think really provoked the emotion of that, you know, kind of like you know, I'm in my own shell, but like, I need to get out. And that's kind of like, you know, like I'm hiding in my shell and I need to get out. That's kind of like what, you know, the main thing it's, New Metal was, you yeah, know? What I mean? Yeah, that's true. It, it's, it's, it's crazy how that kind of fits into the theme of the story and the theme of the movie. And in some sake, like, like Lestat is calling out because he wants to get out of hiding. He, he wants to be out of hiding. He wants, he wants uh, vampire. I mean, we'll probably talk about this a little bit more, but that's that's basically what happens in in the uh, book, uh, the Vampire Lestat. We, the movie opens with him coming out of. Uh, that was a pretty cool thing. That was cool. Like it started off cool, like his voiceover, yeah. and he's coming out of that his fucking tomb, and because of the music, like that's that was fucking cool. That was it was, like a, a, it was a vibe. Yeah. Uh, I've always been interested because I know that um, Queen of the Damned is a third book in the series of uh-huh. Interview with the Vampire. I've never read any of those books, and I don't really know much about it. And I'm assuming that this is an adapted story because I'm assuming yes. that so, it wasn't all about metal, you know? What it is is it the movie combines the story of of the vampire Lestat and Queen of the Damned to make one kind of Frankenstein monster of it in which, like, they should have really been two separate movies. And it should, like, if it... it it was probably uh, bad timing for the movie, I think, because it now it could have been one of those movies that's like, we do this movie that's three hours or two hours, what what the fuck have you, and then we'll like we'll do a cliffhanger ending, and then we'll just do part two of it, and then you know what I mean? It could have been that because what, mm-hmm. yeah, this is how mm-hmm. I imagine that this movie came to be. To be honest mm-hmm. with you, is I imagine someone who had a great passion for the book or the book, the series came to the studios 
And then some jackass at the studio was like, well, how can we exploit the young kids? And that was the music of the time. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think, you know, for all you can say about him, I think Jonathan Davis, without Jonathan Davis doing what he did for this movie, this movie would not, this movie would have like, you know, faded into obscurity. You know what I mean? Without the edge of the music, for for sure, like it does totally heavily hinge on the music because it's the vibe. It's the vibe of the, like you just said. It's the vibe of the movie. The movie is a total vibe. The movie. So what 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 it was was that Warner Brothers had held the rights to it because they had the rights to interview with the vampire before, and mm-hmm. I think something like it was like it was in development, um, but Anne Rice they didn't they didn't let her be a part of the development they had like a like a a stranglehold on the rights to like the whole saga because of the success of interview with the vampire which i think is like a superior movie um some people don't like brad pitt's louis i'm down with brad pitt so Anne rice wasn't involved in the making of it but they gave her like a copy of the script and such and she approved of it and approved of it to be made um, and then even after the fact, after it came out, she was like trying to defend it, being on board with it. She, she thought, oh, Stuart Townsend, he's, he's like an amazing Lestat. Oh, Leah could, couldn't dream of a better Akasha. And then like 2000, something like 2005 or 2015 or, or 2011, something like that. She like went on Facebook and just like, was like denouncing it, talking shit. If you take like an outward view of the movie, uh-huh. right? So you have a few main characters. You have Lestat. Right. Yes. Then you have Marius. Yes. Right. And then is her name Jesse? Yes. Jesse, uh, the, so Lestat, his maker Marius, uh, kind of like the, like one of the first vampires and such. Um, so the, the whole thing with, with Jesse is that her aunt is one of the twins and her, her aunt was Maharet, the twins name. Ugh, I can't even fucking, I, I don't remember. I have it written down in my notes right here. But mm-hmm. it was it was the story in Queen of the Damned revolved around them more because in the Queen of the Damned, the book itself was a uh, more of a history of of the vampires and the vampire lore, and that's where Akasha came from, and and the twins, um, Maharet and the other the other person, uh, um, Jesse's aunt were the first to summon the demon Amal. And the demon Amal is who possessed Akasha and and started vampires and started vampirism essentially. So she's like gotcha. the, she was a first vampire. Um which is like which is why like Anne Rice was not down with it. Cause it's it's I mean you can't condense a whole like there's a whole entire history there, a whole fucking storyline there that they just like they yeah, that, you know? that's my my biggest problem with the movie. Mm-hmm. Is like they try to establish like three primary plot points, <laughs> right. but there's not enough time yeah. to establish anything. Like you, literally, the only reason that you know, and and not even specifically that Lestat, op- you know, that the movie opens in Louisiana, uh-huh. is because of the accent of the band members. You know, it's definitely that's a true. Yeah. accent. and I think they say it once. Other than that, you would not know that it's it's you know setting in that you know location but what's what's super interesting to me though is like i'm gonna get this wrong but all of the like the protagonists of the movie are all americanized and all the antagonists 
are foreign accents. <laughs> but I think I think that's that's I don't think that's just this movie. I think it's a theme, you know, of Americanizing films. And I think to, yeah. to a certain extent it's still, you know, it still happens. But if you notice like Marius, uh Lestat, uh, you know, of course Akasha has whatever uh-huh. got off. Whatever her accent. accent was. Um, I mean, I guess it was supposed to be like old school Egyptian. Um, that's what it was. Yeah. Some, it, some, yeah. As much as I love Aaliyah, like I think, but, but so if you think about all those characters and then the professor, whatever his name is, cause he is to a certain oh, David. extent. That, yeah. Mm-hmm. He's a, he's an antagonist to a certain extent as well, in my opinion. Um, but Jesse Maharet, like they're all Americanized mm-hmm. actors or, 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 you know, characters, you know? So I, I find it very interesting. And I think, do you think was, that's was, more of a like an earlier trope before we all became a little more aware of like the media that we were consuming, or what well, do you I think, think? I think it still exists yeah. I mean, to a certain extent. I mean, I think um, accented characters um, mm. are more used in lead roles now, or you know, mm-hmm. the antagonist pro- protagonist doesn't matter. But I think, um, especially movies like this, I think um, you know those uh, accents are almost used for like exotic characters you know what i mean yeah like this is this is not normal you know what i mean so right um the interesting thing is again you know and and it comes back to you know who's the good guy who's the bad guy you know maharet Mm. is definitely a good guy Mm -hmm. and she's the only other character i believe outside of the band and then the sleazy you know manager for lestat and you know all the groupies that are that, that have American accents, you know. So is so I would say this too, like in the in the grand scheme of it. I mean, maybe with um, this movie, you can't. I mean, you can probably draw a con- conclusion: is is Lestat like the villain? Is he a villain? I think. I mean, he's um, what's what's that word? He's like an antihero. I mean, he does start as someone who wants, you know you know, the vampires to, to come out and yeah, live amongst and that's, the humans. Yeah. You know what I mean? And then, yeah. you know, his ultimate dream comes true when Akasha selects him. Yeah. But then she just takes it, like, to a whole crazy place. Yeah, fuck yeah. yeah Honestly, does. I think my biggest complaint with the movie is the lack of the development of Akasha as a character. For sure. And I think, like... See, I was talking I was talking with Casey while we were watching this and I was thinking, man, you know, she probably died in the middle of production and that's why there's not that Possible. much footage of her. Well, come to find out, uh, uh, uh her, her death. All right. So so the end of 2001, right? Uh, let, let's talk about this. Uh so Stuart Townsend, playlist that. We've been talking about him quite a bit. Um Aaliyah, uh, the singer, uh, songwriter, uh, turned actress. This was her second and final film. Uh, plays Akasha. Marguerite Moreau plays Jessie. You you recognize her from? She she's is she the she's in she's in a few things. She's in a thing. She's in things. Uh, Paul McGann is David Talbot. David Talbot's a bigger character also in the books. Um, he kind of like joins the. <sighs> The secret society that they're involved in, and he he's kind of like a bridging character between like the vampires and and that society. I, I can't remember it. Lena Olin plays Maharet. Um, Christian Manan is Mael. Claudia Black is Pandora. Vincent Perez 
Perez, Vincent Perez is Marius, uh, Bruce Perez. Spence, Cayman, Matthew Newton, Armand, um, Pia Miranda is Jesse's roommate, um, Armand, who was originally played by Antonio Banderas, and Lestat originally played by, what's his name, Tom Cruise? Woo, couldn't think of that. This is L- an interview with the vampire. Interview with the vampire, yeah. And they were actually talking about, like, originally when they were in talks about making this movie, having them reprise their ro- roles, but that I think that was too expensive for, for the mm-hmm. time and stuff as well. But... We were talking about Aaliyah. So she died August 2001 in a plane crash along with eight other passengers, including like her, her hairstylist, her makeup people, her security guard, her, her, her pretty much her team. And the pilots died. Um, they were like, there, there was some sort of like arguing before they got in the plane. There was some weird controversy. The pilot was like saying something about there being too much weight on the plane. It was one of those little Cessna planes. Mm-hmm. And after a posthum after the autopsy on the pilot's uh body, they found traces of alcohol and cocaine in his system. So on the who, pilot? On the pilot system. Oh my God. Right? So who I mean, who knows what was all happening there, but died in August uh twenty uh two thousand one because there's stories about Jonathan Davis talking about how they were supposed to actually he he said in an interview like in 2018 that they were actually supposed to do some sort of duet for the soundtrack and for the movie. So I'm wondering like did was that planned on being filmed and and it just never g- happened because we they lost Aaliyah and and like there's just so so little of her in the movie, but the timeline kind of doesn't, it doesn't make sense for it to be the theory that, oh, you know, she died and they didn't get much of her, in, uh, you know, images and stuff. But th- I, I think, I don't know. I don't know if, like, did, I don't know if they had more of her or if they, well, they you know, I don't so know. Something interesting, you know, bringing up Jonathan Davis uh-huh. is there, there was a, a final song that wasn't on the record. Oh, yeah, it's called uh, Careless, Akasha's Lament. Boom. Yeah, and I don't know if that's the song that she was supposed to be on. Yes. Uh, but they, they they never put it on the album, but apparently he released it uh, maybe as a single on Amazon and iTunes in 2007. And then it's also on the live Corn album, I think, the Alone I Play. Oh, wow. Yeah. I but, never listened to that. I want to listen in, to that now. In the day and age in YouTube, you can listen to it. It's very interesting. Like, I think it it plays directly into the Jonathan Davis vibe. You know okay. what I mean? Yeah. Kind of worldly with, like, heavy guitar, you know, high-gain guitar sounds. And, uh, I mean, it definitely is more of a cinematic song than the rest of the album, you know? So that's one of the, the, the crazy thing, too, is that not only did uh, Jonathan Davis and, and Gibbs do the soundtrack, they also adapted. You can hear the song throughout the movie. You can hear several songs of this, of the, on the soundtrack, like throughout the film, in the score. And they did it with this uh, like world-class Indian violinist by the name of Shankar. And he's the dude that did the the what, what, what is it, the the Last Temptation of Christ. I don't know if you ever saw that movie. I know that soundtrack is like it's the it's like you know that that type of shit. Mm-hmm. Um, so that like I found that to be pretty 
cool that they interlaced like everything was a whole movement it was a whole vibe it was a whole experience they, they and I, I found that too as i'm talking about soundtracks with other people and as i'm watching movies and listening out for the songs in the movies everybody kind of employs different techniques to involve the song in the movie without it being like oh we're just gonna play the song underneath this fucking shit yeah. it's like in this case, I think it's kind of been one of the most creative, and that the the it's like the his music is this, the soundtrack. This this is the interesting thing that um, so in that day and age, you know, mm. in like the the nineties, the, the early aughts, or whatever you want to call it, the hard part is that um, and you know, movie the movie um, you know, production companies do this even nowadays, mm-hmm. where they try to like follow a certain. Um, a movie has to be this to be popular. Yeah. It has to have this flow or whatever. But in, in that time, like two hour movies were like appalling. You remember when Titanic came out? Right. It was three hours and people lost their fucking minds. Yeah. And so I think I have to buy two video cassettes. Yeah, oh. exactly. Exactly. Uh-huh. A double DVD. What the hell? Yeah. You know, this movie, I think, was right. Right about. An hour and a half. This movie was minutes, maybe? way too fucking long. dude. Yeah. <laughs> For, that's what made it worse. Well, so this is the thing is like. <laughs> I actually don't. I, I would. I don't see it in that way where you say it makes it worse. Uh, the way that I see it is that um, whoever was okay. So we can say a few things about the cast and the production of this movie. Mm-hmm. I think Aaliyah didn't have time to develop her character, Mm-mm. and so maybe if the development of the character had been a little more explained, even maybe a flashback, her ac- accent and demeanor would have made more sense. But mm-hmm. as it sits in the movie, it 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 feels jarring, you know. Yeah. I think Stuart Townsend, that's his name, right? The guy that mm-hmm. plays Lestat. I think he did a great job for what he had. Mm-hmm. I wasn't mad at his acting. There were definitely certain sections, but he definitely played the vibe that they wanted from him. I think. Hmm. I, yeah. I, th- this is the thing: is I don't think there are necessarily bad actors in this movie. I think. The the acting was bad because of the the rush of the story. Because mm. they had to yeah. encapsulate so much in such a short amount of time. I mean, the entire time that you get introduced to the stat, I mean, you could probably boil that down to, what, seven minutes? Yeah. Your introduction, and they're like, okay, now you know him. And then Marius gets mentioned once and then there's like and a, a couple a of paintings of, yeah and then you 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 get a scene like you can easily forget that he's a painter you know what yeah. i mean because you don't you don't know anything about him and same thing with jesse what she's part of this weird organization or or you know secret the talamasca that's what it's called after all the talamasca so it's i think it's the thing is like i think what i, I I kind of retract what I'm saying, but I'm not I, not retracting it. In well, that, but it's too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What I'm saying that the point there is this movie, this story should mm. have been two two-hour movies. Yeah. Bottom yes. line, yeah, that was the only way that this story had any chance. And like the idea that they had, where they were merging interview with a vampire and Queen of the Damned, with like the cultural music side of mm-hmm. stuff, was super fucking cool. The execution was Mm-mm. just so lacking. Yeah. You know? That's what, yeah. I think I'd take it back in that this movie was too long. The whatever this was, 
was too long. But you're right in that what it could have been, yeah, it should it needed to be longer. But whatever this was, it whatever it was lingering on, mm-hmm. the the we're just making this like a big music video type thing, like. I don't know. They could have made just more music video. I don't know, man. I don't know. Like, so what's it just didn't work. I watched this with Samantha me. too, and mm-hmm. I told her I was like, "What the fuck is this?" Like, coming from like a music and musician context, it's like, okay, movie opens. He's in a graveyard. He comes out of a tomb. He goes. He's hearing this music, the music and it's calling bro. him, and he's carrying it's the calling. violin. And then he goes, and I sees this like new metal band playing. And starts singing and like they're infatuated and all of a sudden he takes over them, <laughs> right. right? And then they're the biggest band in the world. Yeah. Like so right much after. Time, yeah. Like exactly. So much like, time skip. So mm-hmm. Did 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 time pass or what were the people of America like convinced because it he was a vampire and he was talking out? You know, and then the performance in Death Valley was the only performance. Was there a record release? Right. Like, yeah. you don't know. Like, so from, like, if they could take such a, like, a musician All that bad story, graphic design. Yeah. <laughs> a, a, a musician story, like a, a buildup of a band. Mm. I hate to say this, but you can condense that into seven minutes. Like, you can create a certain flow and explain the entirety of the start of the band to where they end up. You you could film that and like condense it down to like seven minutes, and they didn't. He already started there. He started on a fucking. He started off with voiceover. He could have just voiced over like the career of the band, the trajectory of the band, not just like not even film using you know? film stuff. You can do yeah. you know graphic design. You know yeah. you could have kind of like a an old school like sketch of of stuff you know what i mean kind of like one of those vibes that would have served the movie so much i mean it's almost a cop-out but like because so again if we talk about like the primary plot points of the movie so that's the initial plot is Mm -hmm. that coming back yes and integrating his love for music via violin and converting that love to like the new metal stuff right and then you get introduced to Jesse in the whatever organization. The Telemasca. The Telemasca. And you find out that she's, what, like a newcomer? She's an assistant? She's that was unclear orphan. as well. She, she's right? an orphan? How did she yeah. end up here? Is this part of a school? Is it a secret organization? Is this a, a government organization? Like, you don't know anything about that. So then they introduce that. They introduce Maharet, but they don't ever say who she is. Exactly. Mm-hmm. They don't even say what her relationship is. And they did like a flashback to her and it was like, well, like we're supposed to be like, oh shit. But it wasn't that. Yeah, no. So then you have that plot point that gets shittily built. And it you know? tossed, out, tossed out the window. And Bigger then part the of the end, story. And then at the end of that, the guy's like, oh, Marius. And then all of a sudden we go to a flashback of Marius turning Lestat into a vampire. And then, then it comes back to the current day, and it's just like there's these three main like sections of story that just never get built. There's an interesting way to do timeline jumping, right? Like, you ever seen Westworld? Have you ever seen Westworld? Oh, dude, I love Westworld. Oh, uh, then they did timeline jumping. Uh, I'm yeah, crazy. Like, and then that was an interesting way to tell the story. And there's other movies, there's other shows. Uh, uh, my, uh, Casey watches this show called Animal Kingdom that mm-hmm. it's like it goes back and forth between the past and the future and the past. And, you, and I could see where there was ways that he they wanted to do that here, but that wasn't like it. It didn't work. It. So who, who do we blame this on? 
maybe the studio to start off with because I believe it was it was was it Warner Brothers who started off with it? Warner Brothers. Do, 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 do. It was Warner Brothers. Yeah, it was Warner Brothers. So yeah, that, they don't and see they the, don't have the, the best the, track record with shit like yeah. that. For and, sure. and the director, I mean, I I don't know Dead Sleep. I don't know Angel Baby. I don't know Ali on Me. But he did Battlestar Galactica in 2003 and 2004 to 2009. He did American Horror Story Asylum. That was a good that that was a good season. He did good Hannibal season. the show. He's the man in the high castle. Like he, this show was very camp. I mean, this movie was very camp, and it it was way campier than the legacy of what the Vampire Chronicles is like interview with the vampire was kind of treated as like a period movie it was treated as like an actual film with fucking a-list actors or, or even at the time they weren't like yeah. i mean they were but they went and even christian slater was playing a different weird role and and but it was more of a prestige movie this movie was it was mtv it seemed like right like so it, so it, it feels like that that the <laughs> whoever called the final shots of the movie, because we don't know what, what, what else was no. shot. You know, they could have shot a bunch of other shit. And that's know? what, that, that's what it, it's like. But, did they but, shoot more with like, Aaliyah? Because well, that would have helped. Yeah, all they focused on was, hey, this is the music the kids are listening to, right? Mm-hmm. It really feels like the rest of the movie, outside of the beginning where the music comes in, the concert where he fights all the vampires, and then the end where he sucks the life or Maharet sucks the life out of Akasha. Like those are, they like put those on the board and they said, all right, nothing else matters. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's really what it feels like. And like even those fight scenes, I mean, of course this was what filmed in 2001, 19, or 2000, 2001, probably collectively. And you can totally tell by the graphics. And you friend. can tell, you know, you know what it, you know what it brought me back to spawn. Oh my god. It gosh. felt very oh, Spanish. But the wow. thing is, like, but the thing yeah. is, is like that, that that's that another soundtrack we gotta do. Ooh. Yeah. That in and of itself doesn't kill the movie. You know what I mean? Because that's that's not as bad as spawn to at the time. Not as bad as spawn, yeah. You're yeah. Right. But that's what we're used to at the uh-huh. time, you know. You remember when Spawn came out, we were like, Oh my god, right? Yeah. So, like, if we remove the whole, you know, spoiledness that we have with CGI and Avatar and all the craziness that mm-hmm. has come because of those movies, like there could have been a redemption for parts mm-hmm. of this movie if the concert was more impactful. It felt like there was such a buildup to mm-hmm. the show in Death Valley, and then they come out, start playing a song, and those performances in that section, like that part of the movie is fucking great. Yeah. Like, they hired like, a bunch of uh, actual goths from Australia to like go out and there was an actual goss uh, but like the, the acting goss. that jesse does the acting that the vampires do yeah the the acting and the singing that uh, lestat does and the band you know kind of vibing in the background it all felt good that stage they should have brought a like a consultant in of stage design because it was stupid as fuck but um you know that that's the production manager in my head talking but <laughs> but the cinematography that they used in that entire scene was cool like they could have extended that out a few more minutes maybe you know some vampires attacking him and then doing another song cuz like a part of the movie that wasn't really expressed was 
oh, is he saying things in his lyrics to evoke these vampires? You know, there's so many uh, cool little it, things that could have been so awesome. It's it. This movie has two fucking endings. That could that's that's the ending because what you're saying constitutes like the ending. I think of the vampire Lestat. If I'm not mistaken, is that that's the whole thing with with that book is is. I think at the time it was released, it was more like '80s music. It was like new wave and stuff like that. But yeah. still, it was the same concept. It's he's calling out the vampires um, to join him. He's tired of being in hiding, and. You know, and I was thinking about that. I'm going to run down the track list real quick. And the new metal kind of like, in a way, this album feels new wavy as well. Uh, I'm going to re- I'm going to read down the tracks. It not meant for me was the first. They're all the songs that are made for the album are written by Jonathan Davis and Richard Gibbs. Uh, I found it was it was it was Fieldy. It was Monkey. And it was the bassist uh, from Limp Biscuit that played uh, on, oh, okay. like on all the songs. Yeah, so it was not meant for me. The, the Kilo already said Wayne Static of Static X was a singer of that. Forsaken was David Draymond from Disturb. Amazing song, awesome vocals by him. The, the uh, cool thing with the way mm-hmm. he did those vocals is he did those almost in the style of Jonathan Davis. I think everybody did, and I think like that's that's weird, but it's cool like i think jonathan davis should just should just write songs for other people maybe right like the way he says in the chorus david what's his name david david draymond Draymond, yeah you know i think he says you cannot you say we cannot be forsaken like that such a vibe of mm-hmm. Davis, you know what I mean? Right. But you hear his voice and you're like, oh, this is cool. All right, next song. Uh, after that was the Chester Bennington song was System. I, I don't I don't know if that song's my favorite song or Forsaken's my favorite, favorite song on the album because it, it, Chester just does a really good job. But at the same time, they're all doing their best job at a Jonathan Davis impression and I'm not mad at it. Other people might hate that we're actually saying these things right now. They might be yelling. But I am not mad at it. It's actually it's pretty fucking good. Given that the next song is is not a Jonathan Davis not a Jonathan Davis song, song mm-hmm. I, I want to throw this in there. And you know, mm-hmm. every everyone is gonna have their opinions, but I think like the defining band of new metal that is still going is corn. Yeah. You know they're still doing they're right. it, and mm-hmm. and they're huge. You know what I mean? They're huge. They're and still big, love them. and but they always have been. I mean, they released a ton of albums, and so Jonathan Davis's voice and his vibe is almost like in the modern day, like the definition of new metal as a mm-hmm. whole, in my opinion. And so I think what what's so great of hearing these other amazing vocalists, um, like Chester Bennington. I mean, he's it's Chester Bennington, bro. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? But to like, it's almost like them paying homage to Jonathan Davis. That's true. Yeah. You know? And so I feel like... It's like the Vampire King. Yeah. I, I feel like, like, um, I don't know. It's almost like the, the respect that they gave him by uh-huh. performing the way that they did, I think says so much about musicians, yeah. but also about the genre and about the community of, of these musicians. Because... You know, it's more likely than not, you know, like nowadays, if we need to collaborate, we don't need to be in the same place. No, yeah. Back then, 
digital recording was still not great. They still had so, a mail shit to each other. They exactly. still had a mail so, shit. So like they were probably in the studios together. So like they're oh, you yeah. can, and you can feel that in the music. They were all on that um those family values tours. That's what that's that's what it was to me. It was like, oh, this is like a family values album. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like that that yeah. family values. Uh so after that it was Deaf Tones, uh Change in the House Flies. A classic I mean, song. Classic. A classic song. Yeah, and, like, and because of this movie, I've been diving into Deftones again and they just mm-hmm. there's they just have fucking choruses they have choruses man like their choruses yeah. are awesome i mean chino's great dude he's great i've never seen them live and they've been to el paso so many times they know yeah. my mentors and yeah yeah i mean i said them. hi to them at bowie feathers one time you know how nice that's pretty cool that's pretty um cool. what's interesting about the next song is it's not technically on the soundtrack on spotify it's not that I think it's been ripped off, but it's Marilyn Manson uh, singing Redeemer. A pretty good Manson performance. And I, I mean, I, I don't know, man. Like, as a Manson music fan and all and everything that's going on with him, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's, yeah. it's like, like, fuck it. Like, he, he sucks. Yeah. yeah. Like, sure. he yeah, sucks. He sucks as a person. To he throw, to, to throw the opposite perspective, I've never been a Manson fan. Ah. But when I listened to this song, I was like, oh, yeah, this is, it was kind of, it's almost peak Manson. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I think, I think, mm -hmm. I think that that's a perfect point that you make is that Jonathan Davis should be writing this music for other people because he's so tapped into the vibe. You know what I mean? Yeah. And yeah, Uh, there's, there's the whole vamp. This is a vamp. As, as, as much as I've, taken a dive into like more like uh more vampire music darker music you know my, my lady is is very much into like gothy music and and got like the, the deeper i dive in like he does like that's the thing with the soundtrack it does embody like a, it's a vampire soundtrack it it fucking is like I, it's not it's not like it's not it, it'll I, 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 it I sits in that I, same pantheon i wouldn't necessarily agree you know and label it vampire i think mm-hmm. what it is is that it's a you know that music embodies and i've said this word a million times on this already but it embodies the angstiness and the want Mm -hmm. to be you know not part of the mold you know Mm. and i think i think Mm -hmm. that's what it is and every generation has that i mean you got like punk and you know hardcore you got all these different genres but i think um this at this time in the world this is when we were becoming more and more connected and i think because of that this style huh. of music just kind of took off, you know? Everyone and, was listening to this stuff. And downloading it off Napster. Exactly. Uh, Papa Roach, Dead Cell. One of their best songs, man. I, Honestly, I, I, I think this, in my opinion, this is a throwaway. You think so? I don't, I don't like it. I mean, I'm not, how can, it, it, it doesn't fit in the, it doesn't fit in the soundtrack. It, yeah, you're right. It's a throwaway. It, it, I don't think, how can I say it? I don't think it's the worst song on the soundtrack. How can I say it? They seem like nice guys. So I have some sort of spot in my heart for Papa Roach, I think. So if they pop up on something, I'm like, all right, I'm not going to get mad at it. The only thing that I have by way of love for Papa Roach, and, and I will throw this out there in a second, but I could have a bias, you know what I mean, uh, for them. But the only love that I have for them is just the nostalgic memory of getting ready for school and watching like MTV and like seeing last resort. Got my yeah. love for the and, but that, that video specifically uh-huh, right? so out of all the bands that we've talked about, um, mm. 
Papa Roach is, I think they're at the fringes of new metal. I think they're a new metal, but then coming like that more rack rock, rap rock kind of. Yeah, like they were like at the, at the tail end. Even, they're at the tail I mean? end of it with the yeah. saliva vibe. They were, I, yeah. th- I think, yeah, like that's, I think this, this is possibly the tail end. This is like the send off of new metal, maybe mm. like it, this album. It could be close to that for sure. Yeah. But in my uh, head, I, it's a throwaway in my head. This song might be a throwaway to Penetrate by Godhead. I had this album, this Godhead album. It had a cover of um, the Beatles' Eleanor Rigby on it, which is why I bought the album. And it was fucking crazy. And it was pretty good album. Godhead was a, actually a pretty cool uh, metal band. And then they just kind of, they weren't very popular and they kind of just fell off. I don't even like, you know, I wasted money on it. I don't that. have a whole lot to, I mean, this is yeah. literally the only exposure that I ever had to Godhead. Yeah. No, yeah. And it wasn't interesting enough. Like it was. You know, that's when the I'm band. listening on my walk, yeah. man, I'm skipping this one. You know what I mean? Nah, that, yeah, it was very much. I, I tend to, I, I bought a lot of albums wh- that were like, why am I getting like later on? In the, it's like that didn't, that didn't stick. Um, next story, next song, Slept So Long, sung by Jay Gordon of Orgy. This is a fucking awesome song. And Orgy was an okay band. I remember wanting to buy the album and I showed my dad. CD, like we went to shopping at the mall, and I was like, Hey, I want this one. And he's like, Orgy, uh, I don't know, mijo. I don't know if uh, I don't know about this one. I don't know, and uh, uh, you know what I mean? Like a little, a little, like 11, 12 year old, trying yeah, to, you know, sure. seven year old, eight year old. Not meant for me and Forsaken are like uh-huh. the, the theme song of Lestat, uh huh. In my opinion, this yeah. is like the Lestat song. Oh, really? Yeah, and I get you. Like the chorus, uh, I see hell in your eyes taking me by surprise or something mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. Like, that feels that feels to me like the character. Got you. You know? Yeah. And like, yeah, sure, very for, much so. Forsaken and Not Meant For Me are also in that vein. But to me, those are like his themes. You know what I mean? It seems like like Forsaken and Not Meant For Me are like the call-out songs, right? Like, mm-hmm. they're... they're, they're they're not meant for like it, you know. They're they're, I, they're a little more externalized, and you're right. I think you're right about that. It like uh, slept so long does seem like a more internal. Yeah, yeah. It seems. Like I think he actually. I can't remember where that comes. I think slept so long is is maybe one of the songs he actually sings as yes. well in the movie. Mm-hmm. Right? Uh, the majority of them are in music videos, but yeah, slept so long system. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Next time after that is Down with the Sickness. We we don't what, have to stay on that say? one. Yeah, that's yeah, been on many uh, You either fucking love it or you make fun of it because of the dumb sound that he makes in the beginning. And you I love it because of that. I think it's a great song. And as a drummer, I play that groove. That's a good groove. Can't lie. Yeah, it's a great song. The song on the album, because I own this album, where there's the whole breakdown and looking at his mom. So like where it fits in the album, actually... No, I'm talking of the actual Down with the Sickness on no, yeah, the yeah. Disturbed album. Like yeah. the dist- so it, where it fits in the Disturbed album. I've never I never heard that album. I just heard like the hits. Well, no, so so I'm not gonna say this. Do do yourself a favor, but listen <laughs> to the album version of Down with the Sickness. <laughs> okay. And there's I, I don't know if is it in this one? I'm gonna be honest. When I when that, that song came up, I I I I didn't listen to it. <laughs> Yeah, so it's the bridge. Okay. And he says, you know, in my dream or something. Yeah. Yeah, the the whole part where he's like talking to his mom. 
Mm-hmm. That wasn't in the radio edit, and I preferred the radio edit because like that was mm-hmm. that was a little too like mm-hmm. I see what oh, you're this, saying. This is a good song outside of that, and then the oh, ah, 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 at the beginning. But otherwise, down with the sickness. Mm-hmm. I I vibe with the song, man. I'm not gonna say it's a great song, but it's a good song. It's a classic. I mean, yeah. you're gonna hear it everywhere. Either if you're going to any sporting event, you're gonna hear it. I was super surprised to say this, and I'm gonna spoil it for you. The next mm-hmm. song is "Cold" by Static X. Yeah. It's the radio play. I never listened to Static X when I was younger. I even remember, I think they played Club Blue, which was yeah, tricky before they tricky. They totally did. And I thought about going and I didn't. I wanted but to. this song, like, I think this is the best non-Jonathan Davis song on this record, on this, this compilation. I love Static X. This album, Wisconsin Death Trip. This album, Wisconsin Death Trip, that this... Uh, this this isn't like the best song on the album, but yeah, this is this is the no. I'm best saying non- like yeah, this, this is the this best collection, non- mm-hmm. the best non Jonathan Jonathan mm-hmm. Davis song. Static X is awesome. This is this is a good yeah. song. I need to go back and, and listen to more Static X. You, I think I, you should that first yeah. album for sure. And I think at the time it was the 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 vibe that they were giving off, like the, the visual aspect it was cringy to me. You know, you know. And that's what attracted me to it. Like his fuck his hair, you know. I know, I know it's a whole thing, but like they're they're a good band. And then like the dudes went on to play like with Ministry and another in other uh, like industrial yeah. bands. I don't I don't know like what happened. Like I know there's like posthumous or like they replaced Wayne Static at some point or something as well as like vocals. So I don't know after his death what happened. As I, I kind of stopped following after a while. Static X, I would, I would, I would put them more in a in an industrial. Um, that that I would pigeonhole them as that, you know, not not so much pigeonhole, but I would I would categorize them as that as opposed to new metal. I think they're the let's see, I mean, as opposed to like Manson, like they're pop, pop they were pos- This is possibly they're possibly the heaviest band on this album. Oh yeah, yeah, I for think. sure. Yeah, from from like a, a hundred and eighty perspective, like musically. Yeah the vibe the the audience but whoever's listening to this podcast i would highly recommend that you go listen to cold mm-hmm. and then immediately go listen to not meant for me because hmm. you see the range of wayne static yes and it's extraordinarily impressive what he does regardless whether you want to say that he's uh to a certain extent mimicking jonathan davis or not just what he's doing and and how he's able to shape his voice mm-hmm. going from you know the intensity of the you know the cold were so cold and then like the the fragileness of the, of the verse in the cold song mm-hmm. to like the very melodic and open you know like his his voice and not meant for me is i mean it, it's doubled by a synth from what i can remember uh-huh. uh during a lot of it but his voice in that song is more of a melodic instrument than a vocal. Yes. You know what I mean? I think you could say that about Jonathan Davis too. Now that I'm kind of looking back at it, because he's like, even when he does like his scat and stuff, you know what I mean? He's more, mm-hmm. he's, he, he switches per, to, like, to percussion. Sure. So now, yeah, like, more percussive. When, you know, I think, I think that too. I think, you know, while we're on this before, because the rest of the songs aren't, you know, uh, they're not, Jonathan Davis songs like we got earshot. We'll talk about them right now, but I mean earshot. It it's an okay song. Headstrong. They were. It seems like 
that band was one of those bands that like went out with all these other bands and they didn't they just didn't have like their moment they weren't they were you know they didn't have their moment or they didn't have like yeah. they, like other bands you know i don't know um, much about them but they that song is just very it's it's the it's, style it's there it, it's uh, yeah soundtracks do though, listening soundtracks to this though, do that the the riff that the guitars and stuff that are playing in the verse mm-hmm. it actually reminds mm. me of a Mudvayne song. Definitely. Very much so. Well, that's why that like the next song, Dry Cell, um, the bass line that do 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 that this song was mine and my older brother's song. Like every oh, time really? this and and th- this is like the only thing they did really, and and like but. Listening to it now, it's, I mean, it's not that great, but it's still, it's still a feeling, you know what I mean? It's still, it's, it was like a, like a Limp biscuit style bass with, like, it sounds horrible, like, with, with like, Cretish vocals, you yeah, know what I mean? Sure. I, I, think, I think my problem with the, the, and again, I don't know Earshot or Dry Cell. Yeah. But I think what my problem with those is at the... So, you know, you have a new genre that starts, right? Uh-huh. And it's like up and budding and it's underground, right? And then, you know, more people start doing it. But by the time you get to the end of that genre, it's so commercialized. Mm-hmm. And both of those songs just feel like commercialized versions. Like carbon copies. Copies of, of a they, copy. Yeah. yeah. And maybe the original versions of those. Mm-hmm. And that's a that's a big reason I don't like Papa Roach. Because everything from them just feels like... okay. It's built. I get you know that. What I mean, it doesn't what feel like like a cohe like like musicians yeah. came together. And you know, I think I think that's why like you're a producer, I'm a producer. We've worked with other artists. I think that's what's super important. Um, being a producer is that you can be that producer that comes in and puts a template on top of whatever the uh-huh. artist is giving you, or you can bring out more of the artist. Does that make sense? Yeah. And at the end of every genre, like every genre life cycle, you end up getting that template vibe more than you get the originality. This, yes, to 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 kind of go off of that and to give Jonathan Davis all the praise because of that, as a producer, right, as the as like a principal songwriter for the album, the fact that he chose and the fact that they chose the vocalists to play the songs that they, that, to, to do the songs that they did, like that was purposeful because everybody did fit that song. And, and to kind of jump off of what you were saying before about the range, I think because of how good his songs were, it did allow them to all demonstrate, like they all had pretty like, dip, like, you know, the range, like, cause yeah. you're right. It is like, even if they're, doing a Jonathan Davis impression that's that's not easy you know it's not easy I, not everybody can do that I, I might backtrack on on, uh-huh. on me saying that they were doing an impression of him uh-huh. I think I think another way to think of what uh-huh. maybe they were doing is that they were embodying the artist yeah the movie, but the artist to them was Jonathan Davis or or maybe it was Lestat you know what I mean like Jonathan Davis was Lestat that's like what he, I'm saying. Maybe yeah, like yeah, the yeah. main character was Jonathan uh-huh. Davis. Or yeah. Jonathan Davis says what's interesting Good that songs. I read up on this is originally there was a, a dedicated vocalist that they had hired. Um, I did not know Jeff that. Scott Soto. Oh. I'm not familiar with him, but looking 
very simply, I guess he did some vocals for Ingway Malmsteen. Okay. Uh, he has a bunch of albums and singles out on his own, but he also did, um, he was the front man of Talisman. Um, okay. And then he also played with Sons of Apollo and Trans-Siberian Orchestra. Oh. Which is interesting. Yeah. I mean, this guy looks like, you know, that, you know, the artist that would have fit this. Mm -hmm. but, oh, he placed, he sang with Journey for a while. Oh, he replaced Steve Perry. No, he, he replaced oh. Steve Algieri, which was. Oh, the, the this recent, the most, the, the most yeah. recent guy? Oh, well, no, it says 2006. The Filipino guy? He did it. No, oh. no, no, no. Oh, okay. It was Steve Perry, and then I would think it was Steve Algieri. Algieri? Okay, okay. And then what's Arno, oh, what, what's his name? Arno Panea or something like that. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. The new dude, the new yeah. Steve Perry. That, that he was the original one penned for it. And then for whatever reason, it doesn't say here, but it says he didn't make the final cut in Wikipedia, whatever <laughs> hmm. that means. That dude like there there's a whole line of people that do that, right? Like it's mm. like because like they'll tour with like because uh, uh, Santana doesn't sing, like he'll they'll tour with the vocalist in the early days, and you know what I mean, or or like uh, like Ingwe, like he doesn't sing, so he's gonna have some his singer. That's not, yeah, yeah. That that's a whole class of people, and I uh, I mean you know I don't know. That's a weird. That's a it's kind of a weird existence. That's kind of like a weird like you're there but you're. I don't know. That's that's a weird thing. That's is it, a weird is it thing. the equivalent of being a studio musician? Well, no, I guess I guess not, being a studio, studio vocalist, studio vocalist, yeah. yeah. And I mean, it's it's like you're just a touring vocalist at that point, right? Like, yeah. I mean, even you know, so. But I mean, in all which fairness, is fine. I mean, this guy, he's done a lot. Like, and I guess hmm. he has a current project called Octavision. That's a pretty cool name. Uh, with Dope. the guys from Sons of Apollo, okay, and a, a Armenian guitarist. It's pretty respectable because it is. It does show that you know there's he has the there's. Thing. Eagle and there's egoless singers, right? Like it just shows, like, oh no, I'll, I, I'm, I sing, but I'm, I'm just part of the band, and, and you know, you can, you, you, I don't know. So yeah. dry, that dry cell song, amazing. Next song, tricky, excess, fucking tricky is amazing. It says here that it, it, the Lannis set sang on that, and that was, I was right now years old, finding that out, and that blows my mind because I love tricky and I love Alanis Morissette. This wasn't really my vibe. Like listening mm -hmm. to it now, it's not everybody's. With with the experience that I have in like a more mm -hmm. wide, broader understanding, I, I understand it, and I think it's you know it's got a vibe to it. But you know, but it, it does make sense because I think that song plays in the club, right? In the club, mm -hmm. it's a trip hop song. That's and that's tricky. He's he's trip hop. He's he's massive attack. He's uh, who you know who was with massive, massive attack. It's it's all, it's all it's all sneaker pimps, all that type yeah. of music. You know what I mean? So. You had to have a little bit of that on a yeah. fucking vampire soundtrack. But with so, Alanis Morissette? Mm, that's, awesome. that's, that's dope. So the last song. Kidney Thieves. Before I'm Dead. So I vibe with the song. Me too. Um, I'm a sucker nah. for heavy music with the female vocalist. Me too. You know? yeah. um, interesting story, though. Um, I can't even tell you what year this was. I, definitely before the movie, I think. Okay. But I saw the Kidney Thieves in El Paso. Oh at, shit! At Kelly Q Barbecue, where they opened for Tommy Lee. You remember when he released? Whoa, that? yeah! And I thought they were fucking great live. And then I saw them on this album. I was like, oh, that's so cool. And I've always kind of like, 
you know, in my circle of friends, no one ever listened to the Kidney Thieves because they were, you know, they never popped. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? And so, like, it was always kind of like, a, oh, this is cool. You know what I mean? That was my older brother was the same way. He was like, they're fucking bad at kidney, fucking kidney thieves, dude. Fucking mm. kidney thieves. And it's, it, it, I mean, they're still, I'm I'm looking them up. They're, they're doing stuff still. They like, still they, they have, like, a, there's a timeline of them. It's not like the, it's. Free Dominguez is the songwriter and vocal and the primary member, essentially. Like, like there's a full timeline of Free Dominguez just being the person carrying the band. So, ah, that's fucking cool, man. More power so, to him. That's the official last song, but then also, you know, whoever's out there listening, Careless, uh, parentheses, Akasha's Lament. It's, it's a vibe. You need to listen to it, Javi. I'm going to listen to it. And... and I, with, with the Mexican podcast, Rick or Manus, Miranda, <laughs> this, this, I mean, this album, dude, this, this soundtrack is amazing. It slaps. I so much wish that it was 14 songs written by Jonathan Davis. Honestly, yeah, I'm with you. And, that would have, yeah. You know, apparently there was more songs, like two or three more, that, that Richard Gibbs and Jonathan Davis wrote that mm-hmm. we'll just never hear. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So... Damn, that would have been, that would have, been, you're right. Uh, you're, I mean, in, in a perfect world, that would have happened. I mean, obviously, the biggest hit on this, and it wasn't because of this, was Change in the House of Flies, um, which is, you know, which is wild. Like, which is, I think it's also a reason I wanted to get into to looking up soundtracks as well, because, like, it, it's just how fucking expensive these things are to put together and like to get these people at the heights of their game to come to, to, to mold these. And then like, even to like license and release the Deptone song on their yeah. own album when it's such a good, it's such a big hit on its own fucking thing. The yeah. disturb song too. You know what I'm saying? Like, I will like, say this about uh-huh. changing the house of flies. That like it fits the mold. Totally. Of this record. Mm-hmm. I think down with the sickness fits to a certain extent. But changing the house of flies, uh-huh. like if you didn't know that that's Deftones and that's a Deftones song, like it feels like it. Fits it's the on vibe. Album. Yeah, you know what I mean. I was watching some interviews, and everybody seemed excited. Like Aaliyah seemed very excited about what was going on. Her makeup didn't take her too long. She was. It seemed like it was like a stepping stone in her career. Like she wanted to, you know, do more music and such. But it did seem like she wanted to do like more uh, of this like genre type type well, so movies like what's horror super and shit. interesting is uh, when I was reading on the movie Aaliyah was the first person cast damn I didn't know that yeah that's crazy so again I think wow I think there were many missteps in the creation of uh-huh. this movie many missteps um but the thing is we'll never know like was it poor directing was it uh, them chopping up the, mm-hmm. the script too hard. Was it the you know the director in the editing room removing all the stuff that could have made the movie redeemable? It, it, it honestly could have been better had Anne Rice like been involved. I, I, yeah, I think when when like there's source material and I, I think you need that. I think you need that to make a cohesive like because she would have known she would have known how to handle. Um, the stories and how like because they're two different books you know this is the thing is i'm not even Mm. at the point where i think anne rice could have redeemed the movie no like 
it, it it's a lower level than that in the in the failings of what it didn't do. Because mm. what it didn't do, like I would be shocked if the script is what the movie is. The story got huh. chopped up. The story, huh. the the script must have gotten chopped up. Seventeen percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Yep, that makes sense. We've come to the end of it. We've 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 talked a lot about this movie, Daniel. Thank you very much for jumping on this call. Thank you very much for being part of the podcast. What do you have to plug? Um, I mean, not too much. Uh, What's uh, private at Dune? My band's about to release a new song. Fuck yeah! uh, In March, Uh, private education, uh, private teed music on all the socials. If you want to hit us up, Mm -hmm. Uh, we just uh, put some live videos up. the audio is not great, but you get some ideas of of what we got vibing. But um, that's uh, that's mostly it. You know, outside of that, it's consulting on studios and stuff. But you know, you know, if anyone wants to do that, hit me up. Hit up Daniel for all your consulting needs. My name is JJ Caballero, also known as the Mexican Rick Moranis, also known as Mister Mira Mira Mira, also known as the Hip Hop Walter Mercado. Also known as your new favorite, you've been listening to Mono Stereo Video, a soundtrack, a, a podcast about movie soundtracks. Uh, thank you very much to TPG Radio. Um, you can find me at underscore J-J-C-A-B-A-L-L-E-R-O on all social medias. You can find me at www.jjcaballero.com. Uh, you can find TPG Radio at www.tpgradio.com as well as TPG Radio on all social medias. Thank you very much. Daniel, we'll bring you back for different things. Uh, I am I have a whole thing that I need to do. And Always a pleasure talking to you, man. Always happy to be here.